0: Uh, tonight, for the next few minutes, we're going to go through Galatians chapter number 2, our reading from uh, from this week. And we're going to talk about how the Apostle Paul is a freedom fighter. Everybody say freedom fighter. And uh, you know, in the 70s, 60s and 70s, there were uh, people that were uh, urban guerrillas that thought they were fighting for freedom. Uh, but in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is very clearly fighting for our freedom from the um, uh, from the bondage of the law because of grace in Jesus Christ and what is the freedom that he's fighting for as we read through the book of Galatians the Apostle Paul is fighting for freedom from fear of losing God's love the fear that if you're going to do something if you do something wrong that God's not going to love you anymore we need to be free from that fear Freedom from guilt, shame, and condemnation when you do make a mistake. The book of Galatians gives us freedom from that. Freedom from the urge to perform for God in order to secure his love. You don't get God's love by performing. You get God's love because he created you. Amen? And he loves you. Praise God. It's the reality of understanding that God is for you and not against you. Amen? That God loves you now as much as he will ever love you. That salvation is a free gift received by grace. You don't earn salvation. Amen? As you study in uh, Galatians, a couple of things that you have to get a grasp of to be able to understand what they're talking about is that there were a group of people called Judaizers. And Judaizers were Christians that came from a, a Hebrew or Jewish background that felt that the new Gentiles that were coming into the church had to become Jewish in order to be saved. That putting faith in Jesus and the power of the gospel wasn't enough. They also needed to obey the Jewish law. Their goal was to lead Christians out of the liberty of grace back into the bondage of the Hebrew law. And um, when you look at the history of the church for the first many years, the church's existence, it was exclusively a Jewish sect. Christianity was a Jewish sect until in uh, Acts chapter 10, the Apostle Paul took the gospel to, uh, to Cornelius and his household, and then Jew- Gentiles, non-Jews, began to become Christians as well. And so when they came in, there was confusion as to whether they should be required to do all of the things that it meant to be a Jew in order to be Christians. And the Apostle Paul addresses this, and this reading that we're doing this week, Galatians chapter 2, has a parallel. And uh, if you want to understand what it's talking about, I think it'd be good, maybe tomorrow, after you read um, Galatians chapter 2, to also read the book of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, because Galatians chapter 2 is a commentary on what happened and is recorded in Luke's writing called the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. 15. Now we're going to start out, uh, we're going to read through the passage in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. The apostle Paul says, then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Now, what this is talking about, it's talking about the Jerusalem council that's recorded in Acts chapter 15. So when you read in Acts chapter 15, there was some conflict within this new church, the Christian church, and the conflict had to do with what about these new Christians who don't obey all the ceremonial aspects of Moses' law. Specifically, they haven't been circumcised. And the Old Testament law, the law that we all grew up under, said that you can't be in the covenant unless you're circumcised. And so the big debate was, do these new believers have to embrace all the principles of Judaism in order to be considered saved? And in Acts 15.1, it says specifically that these men were saying that unless they're circumcised, like Moses, uh, after the manner of Moses, then they cannot be saved. And so the apostle Paul shows up. He says it happened by revelation. There was no invitation. He just said, God wants me to go to Jerusalem. Come on, Titus. Come on, Barnabas. We got some business to take care of. That's supernatural. By revelation, God sent him to Jerusalem and he showed up in Jerusalem and there before they had the general council with all the people that were gathered, he first met privately with those that were of reputation. Now, who would that be? Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of Jesus Christ. Peter, the one that held the keys to the kingdom, that preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2, that took the gospel to the Samaritans in Acts 8, and that took the gospel... To the, uh, uh, to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. He opened used the key that Christ had given him to open the door to all these different people groups. Peter was one of the people with reputation. James, who was James? James was the physical brother of Jesus Christ. He was the physical brother of Jesus Christ that wasn't even a believer in Jesus' mission while Jesus was on the earth until after Jesus was crucified and he watched him be put in the tomb and then a little bit later, Jesus appeared to him before he ascended and then James became a believer and he became such a convinced believer that he became an elder and the pastor or the apostle of the church in Jerusalem, pretty significant personality. And John, of course, part of the inner circle, uh, one of uh, um, the apostles that were with Jesus Christ. So before Paul goes before the whole council, he said, I'm going to talk to those of reputation, and we're going to talk about this issue, because these are all Jews. Paul said, I'm a Jew. We all grew up like this. But the reality is God is doing a new thing. And so he talked to them. And in Acts chapter 15, this was the battle. And there were a group of men that were wanting the church, this new, growing, thriving church, to be limited to just the Jews. See, here's the deal. It was an important point. It was an important, critical time in the history of the church. Because if these men had won out, then Christianity wouldn't be Christianity today. It would have been just another Jewish sect. But he became the universal movement that transformed the world because there was a freedom fighter named paul that said no we are not uh, jews according to the law amen but we are god's called and covenant people according to the promise of jesus christ so they get there and they have their meeting barnabas goes with paul barnabas is known as the son of consolation you know what barnabas did when paul first was converted the church didn't want anything to do with him You know why? Because he used to persecute them. There were people in the church who he had thrown their brothers in prison and maybe some of them who he'd even have family members killed when he was persecuting the church. So now he comes, he sees the light on the road to Damascus and and, and there he is and God sends Barnabas to take him and introduce him to the church and say, go ahead and embrace this guy. He's not going to hurt us. So he's a son of consolation and Barnabas was also one of the elders in the church that would take, uh, uh, be led to the uh, Gentile churches to help disciple and develop them. So he came with Paul. Paul and Barnabas went on missionary journeys together. And uh, they returned to Jerusalem from the Gentile church in Antioch with a good report. However, uh, the Juda- Judaizers were there as well. And... Uh, Let me see here. Titus. Who was Titus? Titus was one that traveled with Paul and Barnabas, and he was a Gentile believer. And he worked with Paul. He was born again, but he was a Gentile, and he'd never been circumcised. All right? So you understand the drama? These Jewish believers think that you have to be, some of them think you have to be circumcised to be saved. And here's the apostle Paul with his great Gentile church in Antioch. A lot of people there aren't circumcised. And he even brings one of the young men from the church who is uh, one of his assistants, and he's not even circumcised, and they're claiming that he's saved. And so what they were teaching is, these Judaizers were teaching that Christians had to be circumcised before they could become a Christian. And, of course, the Bible makes it clear in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11 that the true Christian experienced a circumcision of the heart, not a physical surgery or a physical operation that would... Set them as part of the new or, or the, the covenant with God. In Colossians 2:11, 2, 2, it says, In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It wasn't a physical procedure. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And so the reality is the Apostle Paul is saying, what happened was is not a physical operation to remove the foreskin of a young man, but it's a spiritual operation, a cutting off of the sinful nature. And it happens, nobody cuts it, nobody has a knife and cuts it. It's a supernatural thing, and God does it supernaturally. When we're buried in waters of baptism, there's a separation of the new creature and the old creature. The old creature remains behind and is buried, and you come forth as a new creature. This is spiritual circumcision. So you don't have to obey the physical circumcision of the Old Testament law in order to be part of the new covenant. So in Acts chapter 15, verses 6 through 21, it tells the story of this Jerusalem conference, and that's what Paul is commenting on here in Galatians chapter 2. And it was a conference between whether you are saved by grace or whether you're saved by adherence to the Jewish law. And in the story in Acts chapter 15, there are three witnesses that stand up before they resolve everything. Three different witnesses. The first witness is Peter. Peter stands up, and remember, Peter is uh, the, uh, the most significant first apostle that preached the message on the day of Pentecost, received from Jesus Christ the keys. And he shared with them his experience, how God had directed him to go to Cornelius' house and how they received the Holy Ghost just like we did. He said, they spoke in tongues just like we did. So it was hard for me to swallow at first but i finally realized that god is no respecter of persons and that it doesn't matter whether you're a jew or whether you're a gentile that god's pouring out his spirit and saving all men so peter himself declared god gave the holy spirit to the gentiles so there is no difference between the jews and the gentile and as i said this was a difficult lesson for peter to learn But he testified there in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council of this truth. He said, Jesus has broken down the walls through his death on the cross, and so there's no longer any racial separation. That was the first witness in Acts 15. The second witness of this fact was uh, was Paul and Barnabas. They got up together. And what was their uh, contribution to this discussion? They said, hey, we just came from Antioch, a church full of non-Jews none of them were raised as jews and you wouldn't believe the miracles that are happening there and the people that are embracing jesus christ and the changes that are happening in their life it's powerful what's happening through the power of the spirit and the power of the gospel they were giving their story of their missionary journey and it was further reinforcing this reality that the gentiles were becoming a part of the church and then they used titus as a test case Verse 3, verse 3 of Galatians 2, it says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Said, I've brought him with us. He's a Gentile believer. He's never been circumcised, but check it out. We can all tell that he's been saved, that the Holy Ghost has done a powerful work in his life. So the foundation of the idea that you're saved through works of the law was being broken down. By the reality that Jesus on the cross was our sacrifice and he justified us and we're not justified by the works of the law. And so Titus was a living example there in the uh, Acts 15 event. And uh, since Titus was spirit filled and saved yet uncircumcised, it proved the Judaizers belief that a person had to be circumcised to be saved. It proved him wrong. Wrong. And then the final witness, the final witness was James. James finally stands up in Acts 15 and clearly and eloquently does a summation and conclusion of all the discussion that day. You have to remember this. James, the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and an extremely Jewish person. But he says the Gentile does not have to become a Jew to become a Christian. And it's very clear to us, That as it was prophesied in the Old Testament, is happening right now. That God's program is to take out of the Gentiles a people for his name. A people for the name of Jesus. And that's what's happening. And it was settled. Everybody say it was settled. So when they left, they said, no, we're not going to have to circumcise these new believers or force them to obey all the dietary and ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic law. It was a heavy yoke to us. It was a difficult thing. And we understand that we have liberty from the ceremonial aspects of the law because we're not saved through adherence to the law. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, verse 4. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And at this particular event, there were those that opposed what uh, the leaders were declaring, but they would not let them have a voice because it was in conflict to the power of the gospel. And the leaders recognized that God had assigned different areas of ministry to different men. At that conference, they said, well, we can tell that Paul is really making inroads into the gentiles he's an apostle to the gentiles but we also can tell that peter is a, a powerful apostle to the jews and so we want them to continue in verse six from those who seem to be something whatever they were it makes no difference to me god showed personal favoritism to no man for those who seemed to be something added nothing to me but on the contrary when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worketh effectively in me toward the Gentiles... And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they would go to the Jews or to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. So when they left the conference, it wasn't two different gospels, it was one gospel and two different spheres of ministry. Paul, you've got a gift of ministering to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles. Go after it. You have our support. You're our brother. Peter, you've got a gift to go minister to the Jews. Go after it. Win as many to Christ as you possibly can. Now that didn't mean that Paul wasn't going to reach for Jews anymore, he still loved them and oftentimes when he went to a community, the first place he would set up was the synagogue and he would start with his own people first and Peter of course was the first one to minister to the Gentiles, so it wasn't exclusive but they understood that there was a specific gifting and focus, so they were not limited but they were focused. And it's powerful that the Jerusalem conference in fifteen Acts 15 could have led to division and dissension in the church, but instead it led to cooperation and agreement. But it didn't permanently solve the problem because once uh, Paul and Barnabas and Titus went back to Antioch, the Judaizers persisted in interfering with Paul's converts and the churches that he had established. I mean, it's really kind of a crazy thing they were doing. They would follow the Apostle Paul after he established a church and had all these new Gentile believers in Jesus, and they come along behind and say, okay, line up, we've got to start getting you circumcised here. Uh, You need to, you can only go this far on a Sabbath day. Here are the meats you can't eat. Trying to impose on them the ceremonial law and bring them back into bondage the bondage of the law. And so Paul is addressing this because obviously these Judaizers had been to the churches in Galatia. And in verse 11, he talks specifically about the fact that Peter, who was there in Acts 15, who declared that he understood that you didn't have to become a Jew to be a Christian, he had a relapse. Look at verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, before they showed up, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas, this man who was an elder to me and showed mercy to me, even he was carried away with their hypocrisy. And what happened is, when Peter came to Antioch, When he first got there, he enjoyed fellowship with all the brethren, both the Jews and the Gentiles. He ate with them and enjoyed fellowship. And when you ate with them as a Jew, that means you accepted them and it put them on the same level with you. There was no difference, just like Peter had said in Acts 15. But then when the members of the opposition arrived, Peter lost courage. Peter lost courage and stopped eating with the Gentiles and withdrew himself. And would only eat with the Jews. And we understand that Peter had an issue. Peter was an impulsive man by nature. He would go from great courage to great fear. In a matter of a a few seconds. He's up there walking on the water. Bid me come. He's out walking on the water. And then all of a sudden he's sinking. He looks around. Sees the winds and the waves. The same one that says I'll never deny you. And then a couple hours later I never knew the man. He swore at the woman before the the uh, rooster crew crowed and uh so this was his nature he was an impulsive person from courage to fear but the problem is, is when peter fell it led others astray even barnabas into the same hypocrisy and paul gave a rebuke to peter and to the others and it's important that this happened because as i said if this hadn't happened we wouldn't have christianity today Amen. Now, we know God's will would be done. God had Paul there on purpose. It was going to happen. It was in God's sovereign plan. But thank God for a man that had courage, that was willing to fight for the freedom. So Paul's rebuke to Peter and the other was a doctrinal rebuke. And he said, Peter, when you turned away from believing that you are saved by grace and there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile and you went back to believing that there's a difference and embracing this doctrine of the Judaizers, There are five Bible doctrines that you're denying when you do that. And he talks about the five. Number one, verse 14. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? One of the doctrines that Peter's position was denying is the unity of the church. Peter had stood up and said, there is no difference. I perceive God's not a respecter. There is no difference. He says, but when you act like that, Peter, you are denying this principle doctrine that we understand that the church is unified and not racially divided or divided by our backgrounds. Secondly, the second doctrine is the doctrine of justification by faith. Uh, in verse 15 we who are jews by nature and not sinners of the gentiles knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in jesus christ even we have believed in jesus christ that we might be justified by faith in christ and not by the works of the law for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified he's saying peter When you act like that, you are denying the fact, the biblical understanding, the Jesus principle that we're justified by faith uh, instead of by the works of the law. Amen. This idea of being justified by faith is such an important principle. It's addressed in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews. It's specifically addressed because it's important for us to understand this. What is justification? You guys still awake? You had too much to eat? you burping now? Too much good word. Justification. Justification is an act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. Justification happens instantaneous. It happens immediately. And it's a transaction between a believing sinner and an all-powerful God. We don't do anything to get justified. It's an act of God. He is the one that declares us righteous through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and when we believe and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are justified. Justification is declaring one righteous. Now, here's an important point. Justification doesn't make you righteous. It declares you righteous. So that means you are right in the sight of God. But you still got some issues. But you've been declared as righteous. Because you know what? It's not your righteousness in the first place. It's the righteousness of Christ that's put in your bank account and you're declared as righteous It's an instantaneous act of God, not by anything that we have done. Come on, somebody. You've got to understand this about the Word of God. Now, justification leads to a righteous life. James counterbalanced in chapter 2. He said, Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. faith without works is dead. He says that faith in jesus christ makes you justified instantaneously and you may still have some issues but faith in jesus is going to lead to a transformed life and you got to get this your life is not transformed so you can be saved your life is transformed because you have been saved you don't clean up to get god's grace that's a misconception When do you need grace? When you a mess. You get God's grace, and then his grace leads you and teaches you to deny ungodliness. It's important to understand where our salvation comes from. It's an act of God. It's Jesus Christ's righteousness being imputed to us because of what he did on the cross. Somebody shout, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And uh, um, I'm sorry, I don't know what my notes are saying right here. Just a second. It even confuses me. Amen. (laughs) So through faith we are declared not guilty. I want to make this point before we move to the next point. Who needs to be justified? Sinners, right? Sinners need to be justified. Not good people. This profound right here. Let this come into your spirit. The reason most sinners are not justified is that they will not admit that they are sinners. Mm-hmm. You can't apply the blood of Jesus until you realize that you deserve to die. When you look at the story of Cain and Abel, Cain brought a sacrifice, the produce. No blood. Abel brought a blood sacrifice. He killed one of his lambs and offered it to the Lord. God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. You know why? Because Cain brought effort. Abel said, I deserve to die, and something else is going to die in my place. Cain was not acknowledging that he deserved to die. Abel, when he slit the throat of the lamb, was acknowledging I'm a sinner and I deserve to die. Cain was assuming that I can bring enough to Jesus to make up for the fact that I've got failures and weaknesses through my effort. And God said, I reject that, but I accept that. It's the principle that's still alive today. The only way you can be saved is to recognize that I deserve to die and I need a savior. Amen. Amen. Some people think, well, I'm going to improve my life. I'm going to clean up. I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. I take care of my family. I don't cheat. I don't lie. I do all of these good things, and I'm going to bring that to God. God's like, I'm not interested because you're a sinner, and you don't realize it. You need salvation, and you don't realize it. You're destined to die because the wages of sin is death, and you don't realize it. And you cannot be justified until you recognize that you are a sinner. Hallelujah. And when you are a sinner, then you are justified. When you think you're all right. Uh oh. Big problems. Amen. So you're justified as a sinner instantaneously. Through an act of God, because Jesus Christ died on the cross as your substitute, and you put your faith in that blood, just like Abel. Cut the lamb's throat. I'm sorry, that's brutal. I've said it like three times now. Stained the white wool, bloody red. Offered the lamb as a sacrifice there as he cut the throat, one more time, of the lamb. It was an acknowledgment. It was an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement that I need somebody to save me. I need a substitute because I deserve to die. Just like mom and dad, God made a sacrifice for them and clothed them, amen, in animal skins. Because the only way you can atone or cover sin is for blood to be shed. And Abel said, I get it. I deserve to die. Cain said, no, I'm going to do some good stuff and that will take care of it. The only way you can be saved, the only way you can be a Christian is to believe that you're a sinner. And sinners are the only kind of people that Jesus can save. And Peter, in his actions, was justi- was denying justification by faith when he was saying that Jews were better than Gentiles. Number three, the third thing, that doctrine that he was denying was that the The doctrine of freedom from the law. Verse 17. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Peter himself in Acts had described the law as a burdensome yoke, and now he was putting himself and others back under it. And then number four. He was denying the gospel itself. Verse 19. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if the law could justify, then why did Jesus have to die? And that's point number five. He denied the power of the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. You can't mix the law and grace. If the law could have justified, why did Jesus have to die? He made it clear. You're justified by putting your confidence in a bleeding lamb, the lamb of God, that died on the cross For you and returning to the law, Peter, would nullify the cross. And so we understand uh, Paul doesn't reveal here Peter's response, but he responded well to the correction. Because when we look at Peter's letters in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, it's very clear that he does not deviate from the message of the gospel of grace. Now, the final thing that I want to say is that this passage is the Apostle Paul very forcefully addressing an issue that would have derailed the church. And he said, you can't be in the law. You're dead to the law. But in Romans, I'm sorry, Galatians 5 and 6, he says, you're also dead to the flesh. So in another passage, he said, he said this, shall we continue in sin? that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So he's saying that true freedom, true freedom is number one, freedom from the law, but it's also freedom from the flesh and the sins of the flesh. And when you're walking on the pathway of righteousness, it's important to understand that you can get off the path to the right or to the left? On the right side is legalism, which is believing that you're saved by works of the law. On the left side is another ditch called license, which says Jesus Christ died for me so I can live however I want to. The Bible makes it clear, the apostle, same apostle Paul that hammers this point home about us not being saved by the works of the law Also says the same guy in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. None of you guys, none of those guys are going there. He says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul is saying, if you want to really be free, you can't fall into bondage of the law. But if you want to really be free, you can't fall in bondage to sin either. It's through the power of the Spirit of God you learn to live in obedience to God, not out of obligation to the law, but because you love God. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Anybody saved? Somebody needs to realize you're saved. Bro, that's some good news. You are saved, and nothing shall separate you from the love of God. God's grace and mercy he loves you. Amen? That means He loves me when I mess up. He still loves me. Come on. He, st- he still loves me. He loves me when I stumble. He loves me when, when, I'm, when I'm faithful. He loves me when I get inconsistent. There's nothing I can do to make him love me anymore. There's nothing I can do to make him love me any less. He loves me. Somebody needs to get that in your spirit right now. The Lord loves you, and he has saved you, and he has justified you. And that means in the eyes of God, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that's what it takes Praise God. If you think you're saving yourself by your actions, you're not going to be a true worshiper. You're going to be a proud worshiper. You're going to be like Michael that sat up in the window despising David's worship. Why does he have to be so extravagant in his praise and worship? Why does he have... David said, hey, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for God. He chose me. He selected me. He anointed me. He appointed me. I'm going to praise him and, and, and it doesn't matter what you think. And until you realize that your only hope of being saved is being justified by the cross, then your worship is going to be a facade. It's going to be a fake. It's gonna be just to fit in. It's gonna be just to get with the groove and get in the mood of what everybody else is doing. But when you come into the house of the Lord and you say, I deserve to die, but Jesus Christ died in my place uh, and my faith of eternal life uh, is in what he did on the cross uh, and the fact that he justified me and that's why I live for him. That's why I love him. That's why I serve him, amen. I'm not serving him to get saved. I'm not serving him to make it to heaven. I'm serving him because I'm going to heaven. Oh come on, somebody just stand up and praise him right now. Can we give praise to Jesus? He's worthy. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mmm. And I, and I really believe that one of the number one causes of Christian inconsistency is a misunderstanding on this point. We think God's mad at us all the time. And we hide our stuff. We go into hiding and we don't, don't let the spirit work on us. Because we feel like God, God's not mad at you, God loves you. In fact, Jesus Christ is your advocate when you do mess up. Isn't that good news? Did you know that? When you mess up, Jesus is not like, you know, like anybody ever had... Your mom and dad do that to you like hey, what do you do? I'm finna backhand you, I'm finna send you to next week. I brought you into this world, I'll take you out. Come on. That's not what Jesus is. Jesus is our advocate. He's the one that comes alongside. Amen. And pleads our cause. Praise God. And so when we understand that and our faith is in what He did and what He is doing for us, He's still our interceder. Amen. He still maketh intercession for us. I'll fear no evil. I'm not gonna be intimidated by the devil. I'm not gonna be backed into the corner. God is for me and not against me. Hallelujah. God's fighting for me and he's not against me. Get a revelation now. You've been saved by the blood of Jesus. Praise God. And there's nothing that will separate you from the love of God. Oh, I feel like praising him now. I feel like really, really praising him now. I recognize where my joy comes from. I recognize where my hope comes from. It doesn't come from what I do. It comes from what he did. Woo, I'm talking about joy. Ha ha! I'm talking about peace. And I'm talking about freedom from fear. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Woo. Hallelujah. Praise God. Mm. Praise God. I refuse to be bound. By the idea that I perform my way into the kingdom. But I also refuse to be bound by the bondage of sin. I'm living for God. Hallelujah. Through his power. And I'm standing and right, right standing before him today. Not because of what I did. But because of what he did. and Because I put faith in that. I put faith in what Jesus did. Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you. Tomorrow the next day read Acts 15. It goes along with what we taught tonight. You'll kind of. Be able to pull the two of them together and gain a greater understanding of what was being discussed here. I want you to greet one another in the name of the Lord. Encourage one another. This Sunday is our fellowship Sunday. Come planning to support the Bible Quiz Ministry uh, and eat all the pasta you can eat. And uh, and also prayer on Saturday night. Anything else that I need to announce? Search for truth Saturday night after prayer. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.